you'd like to open your Bibles to Isaiah uh, 55, we're going to do a part one today. <laughs> There's two sides to this passage, uh, and we're going to look at part of it today. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For this is what the Lord, what the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says, I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says, I live in two places. I live in the most holy, glorious, awesome heaven, and I live with the sinner who is crushed by the weight of his sin. That is a tremendous, what do you call that, uh, difference. That's the best word I can get. Imagine this. Imagine you're, what, you went to a court case, and there are three guys who... Now, of course, in a, in a court of law in America, we know they're not guilty until proven guilty. That's the court-found verdict. But then there's also the reality. You know, in reality, if you did it, you're guilty, whether the court ever finds you guilty or not, right? So these three guys are not proven guilty yet, but they are guilty, right? They, they done it. And, and so these three guys are guilty of the crime, and it's a, it was a bad crime. People were hurt. Uh, it was a robbery. There was shooting. People were shot. There were injuries. People lost money. People lost time. People lost health. A family member of yours was injured, and you go to court because you want to see this trial. You want to see justice done. And so there's these three different criminals who are involved in it. All three of them, like I said, are guilty, and one of them is sitting there with this attitude like, I could care less. I mean, he might as well, you know, you people might as well not be there. I don't see you. I don't care. And there's another one who says, oh, I'm sorry. I, I really uh, wish I hadn't done that. And there's another guy over there who is clearly crushed by his guilt. He is weeping his apologies. He's so sorry. He, he, he would do anything if he could take it back. Now, of those three, which one is most likely to get your sympathy? And the answer is the guy who's crushed by his guilt. Now, now you may, you may very well, I see, I see those looks. You're saying, they ain't none of them getting my sympathy. <laughs> right? And I understand that because they're guilty and they did that harm. But God cares. See, when God sees that sinner, he not only sees the sinner who did the crime, he sees that sinner as one of the people he died to save. That sinner is not merely a stranger who did a bad thing, but a loved one who God wants to bring back. And, and, and uh, there's a problem, though. There's, there's two problems. There's two sides of this. Uh, the one side is there are too many of us who simply don't show contrition. We don't show that our guilt is a big deal. And the other side of it is people who are so crushed by their guilt, they don't think they can ever be forgiven. And this message, this one verse, speaks to both those issues and answers both of them. For this is what the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Okay? Uh, I'm going to just start today by defining contrition, because this is a word we don't use today. Unless you grew up Catholic, you know, and you had to do penance, uh, and go through that. And, and by the way, if you were like me and you grew up Catholic and you went and you prayed your little act of contrition and then you did your penance, uh, you never felt it. 
You, you, you did the act. You went through the and act of contrition. is a good name for the prayer because it was just an act. <laughs> for me, maybe you were, if you grew up Catholic, you grew up and with great sincerity prayed that prayer. But for me, it was memorized words that I soon forgot. And I can't tell you how that prayer goes today. But it was called an act of contrition. And then you, he gave you penance that you went out to, to pay the price of your sins. And for me, both of those were just a show. They were a formality. They, there was nothing real about them. It has nothing to do with what contrition is. Defining contrition in English, the English definition of contrition is crushed in spirit by feeling of remorse or guilt. That's word for word straight out of my dictionary. English, it's a Webster's Dictionary. Right? Now, it's an old Webster's Dictionary. Today's probably says something much more lukewarm. But uh, it says, crushed in spirit by a feeling of remorse or guilt. And that is the definition of contrition. It goes on, it says, that, that's the definition of contrite. It goes on and says, contrition, a feeling of remorse for sins or guilt, earnest repentance. And you start seeing, even as I go this, these words are not as common. I mean, this word is not as common as it ought to be. Uh, Because much, much too often, we take our sin much, much too lightly. We may take someone else's sin and say, give it to him, God. He's got it coming. But our own sin, we take much, much too lightly. So Hebrew. The important thing when you start, you know, I don't know if I've ever explained this before, and I thought, maybe I should explain this sometime. Why do I sometimes talk about what the Greek word or what the Hebrew word means? Is it, is it simply to, to, to pass a little time? Is it to, to show that I know how and make myself look smart? It actually, the, the, it's supposed to answer a question. Does our English translation reflect well what the original author meant to say? Because sometimes it is very difficult to translate a word or an idea and get it across. And so when we go talk about the Hebrew or the Greek, we're trying to say what did, what it, if we can get even closer to what is originally meant and intended. Uh, but when we look up the, the Hebrew, the word is dachai. You got to kind of dachai. Uh, does our English catch that? Here's the definition of the Hebrew word. To be crushed, contrite broken. Go, wow, that English caught it pretty well. Contrite, crushed, broken. It is also a word that is sometimes translated dust, as in that which has been crushed. And you go, wow, maybe the English word isn't even strong enough. Uh, Contrite. As a verb, it means to crush, to pound, or to beat. It is used of one who is physically and emotionally crushed because of sin and or the onslaught of an enemy. David used this word to describe himself after the prophet Nathan rebuked him with his sin with Bathsheba. And David was, he he describes himself as contrite, as crushed and broken in spirit. When when David, David was fine hiding his guilt. He was fine acting like everything was fine. He, he got Uriah, uh, Bathsheba pregnant. He had her wife Uriah sent out to battle to be killed. He married Bathsheba and pretended everything was fine. And Nathan the prophet came and said, you did this, God knows. And David at that point could not hide his guilt anymore. He could not pretend it wasn't there. He acknowledged his guilt. He owned his guilt. And his response was he was crushed as he saw the utter sinfulness of his sin. And the weight of his guilt and sin crushed him. And that's how he described himself. And so we get finally to Steve's definition. 
The person who is contrite is the person who feels the weight of his sin and guilt. The person who feels the weight of his sin and guilt, that person is contrite. And, and I want to say far too few of us show contrition. When I say that, I might, you, know, you, know, you know that thing, point a finger at someone, how many are pointing back? You know, so I point like this. <laughs> and God says, you have another hand. <laughs> we have, I, I can give you a couple of examples of contrition, though. Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther, the guy who officially is credited as starting the Reformation. The Reformation would have happened with or without Martin Luther, but he was the trigger uh, that, that, that got it all going. Martin Luther... Uh, you read the story of Martin Luther, and it's just an interesting story. He was the son of a businessman, uh, and, and, and they were doing okay. And Martin Luther, as a young man in his early 20s, was traveling on some kind of a trip. I think he was heading to, to go to school, and he was traveling through the mountains, and he got caught in a horrible thunderstorm. Uh, a thunderstorm, I've never been in the mountains in a thunderstorm, but I can understand that that would be very scary. And he was terrified in these mountains in this thunderstorm, and he basically crawled under a rock and he prayed to St. Anne, he was raised Catholic, he prayed to St. Anne that if, if she saved him, he would give his life to God, and he survived the thunderstorm, and he went and became a monk. His father really did not like that, because monks don't make money, and his father wanted him to make money, but he went and became a monk. And as a monk in the monastery... He was constantly doing penance. He would go and ask someone to, to you know, you, you go and you do the confession, like I said, the act of confession or contrition, all that stuff. He would do that repeatedly in one day. He was so aware of his sin. He was so constantly under conviction that he went and he would repent of his sins and confess his sins again and again and again. More, so much that they just wanted him to stop. Stop confessing your sins all the time. It's a sin. <laughs> He, he, but he couldn't because he was so under, under guilt. And then he read Romans 1, 16 and 17. I shouldn't say he read it. He was studying it. But he re read Romans 1. And maybe that's 7, 18. I might be... Uh, I actually have it written down, but I don't want to take the time to look because <laughs> I'm going to look right here. Uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17. It was verse 17 that convicted or freed him. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous one will live by faith. And he read that. And he said, righteousness of God is revealed through faith. The gospel is the power of salvation. The righteous one will live by faith. And he was able to throw off that burden of guilt as he saw he was saved by faith through Jesus Christ. And he was freed from the guilt that he, he carried all that time. But that was what made him who he was, the horrible guilt and contrition that he felt. And because he felt that guilt and was weighed down so much by his sin, God, when he forgave him, God was able to use him so greatly. It was a huge correspondence there. He found the forgiveness and release from that guilt, and with it, freedom to minister and become the man that he was. Now, that's a big uh, story, um, distant, far away, and sometimes hard to relate to. So I'll give you another story. I was on a, a, a trip traveling. It wasn't a huge trip. It was a couple of, we were a couple of hours from home. I was driving with a man, uh, a man who I knew well, a godly man, and, and he started the buildup. 
He, I don't remember his words, but he went on for a while about the guilt he was bearing and the load that he felt and the conviction that he felt about this and, and how he had to get it off his chest. And I, I don't remember if I was driving or a passenger. I think I was driving. And the whole time, I was, just, I was starting to feel crushed. And I was absolutely convinced he cheated on his wife. And, and I was just going, oh, man. How am I going to deal with this? What am I going to do? And then he got to the end of, his, end of it, and he says, so here's what I've done. I'm chewing tobacco again. And I went, oh, <laughs> is that all? <laughs> and he just about beat me up in the car while he was angry when I said about his conviction, oh, is that all? Now, you understand where I'm coming from because he's doing this buildup. I knew, was, I'm sorry. I, if, if you are convicted, if you chew tobacco and you're convicted by it, I don't mean to make light of your tobacco, but you compare it to adultery, which was where my mind went. I couldn't imagine someone being this convicted. It had to be adultery. And it was just chew. <laughs> I was like, oh, I felt so good. <laughs> but he was so angry at me because I was making light of his conviction. And he was under conviction. For, and I learned a lesson. First of all, because this guy scared me at that moment. <laughs> it's like he, I, I, I was, I, I don't, like I said, I'm not, I don't remember for sure if I was driving or not, but I think I must have been driving because I think if he was driving, he might have pulled over at that moment. <laughs> and I would have been in serious trouble because I know he could take me. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, I, I can, uh, and, and the, by the confession of his sin, because I did apologize, and, and we talked about it, and, and I think he was freed from his chin, or chew, and uh, made, made free by that. Uh, but he was, he was truly convicted by what I would consider to be a light sin. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I think, I think chew is, is not the smartest thing to do. I think it gives you bad breath, makes your teeth look funny, might give you cancer. I honestly don't think it's a sin. You know, if it is, then I have to stop drinking coffee, because... <laughs> kind of does the same thing, <laughs> and I'm not going to dr stop drinking coffee, so I'm not going to condemn Chew. But for him, because he was under conviction, it was a horrible sin. Con conviction, those are con examples of conviction. Conviction really happens, but I want to tell you, conviction is rare. Conviction is rare. Uh, conviction is a strong and heavy word. It is not a light and fluffy word. Okay, so because we had a lot going on today, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Next week, we're going to look at the two sides of conviction. We're going to look at the conviction that, that we don't feel when we should, and we're going to look at what to do about the conviction we do feel, uh, sometimes when we shouldn't. By the way, uh, Martin Luther, I consider that to be part of his salvation, I, the story of his coming to Christ and being saved. This other guy was a Christian, and he was under conviction for his sin. Conviction and contrition applies to both. Uh, it applies in both ways. If, if you are not saved, meaning if you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and you're watching all this and wondering if it's real, and you're dealing with guilt, and you have guilt that you recognize uh, it, you have and you're carrying, there is only one way to get rid of that guilt, and that is through Jesus Christ. He did not die for nothing, right? The God of the universe did not become human so he could die for fun, Right? Or to set us an example, he died to pay a price for our sins so he could take those sins away. Okay, so, so if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do that. That is the only way to take that guilt of sin away. Anything else is whitewash, and whitewash accomplishes nothing but, but a little bit of cosmetics. Right? 
Uh, anything else is whitewash. He fixes the problem. But for believers, you know, believers, here's, here, here's the way it is. Believers, Dan talked about foot washing. <laughs> you, he, said, he said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. He was talking to believers. Peter said, well, then, Lord, wash everything. And he, Jesus said, I don't have to wash everything. The rest of you is clean. In other words, he's saying, you've already been forgiven, but you've been in contact with this world and picked up a little dirt, Peter. And that needs to be forgiven. You know what? Believers carry guilt, too. Until you come to Jesus and ask him to take that guilt away, you get the, you have the privilege of carrying guilt. And it's the dumbest thing in the world to do. Because he wants to, to release you from that. You already know him. He's already, you already know he will forgive your sins. For some reason, you want to hang on to your sin. Uh, please don't take me on a car drive <laughs> and, and, and scare me with a long confession. By the way, if, if you feel a need to confess your sin to a person, then you can. But it's not necessary, unless it's a person you've offended, and that's the person you need to confess to. But you, God is the one who forgives you, and he's the one you truly need to confess to. And, and so if you have that guilt, I encourage you to do something about it. And to come back next week, we'll learn more about this. <laughs> Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, Lord, I thank you that you free us from the weight and the burden of sin. I thank you that you take this thing we were not made to bear and you, and you bear it for us. Lord, I ask for each one here, if there's any, any, anyone and everyone who's walking around with a load of sin, that they will find that release and freedom that only you give. I pray in Jesus' name.